like there's been times where I've been pushed to my well beyond my limits and you know that may, people may say that's that's affected my football like I went into the club maybe a bit more tired than what I would have been had I been on the couch all day but I think over the long term like this has probably been the best thing for my footy career that I could have done. Good day and welcome back to another episode of the Humans of Agriculture podcast. I'm your host, Ollie Laleve, and as always, I'm privileged to be sitting down with another incredible human of agriculture. This week, we're out at Mount Macedon Winery, about an hour out of Melbourne. We're on the country of the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people, and I'm joined by Dylan Grimes, the newest, well, he was last year as well, but he's just been announced again as the co-captain of the Richmond Football Club. So for those of you who are footy fanatics, I reckon this is going to be a cracking episode for you to jump into. For those of you who aren't, Dylan's got an incredible story about the role of footy as well as farming and the influence that agriculture has had on him and his life. We've got a link to Mount Macedon Winery, which is the property he runs alongside his wife. It's a wedding venue, a winery. There's a bit happening out here, so check it out. But I'm not going to take too long. Let's just jump straight on into it. But, right, I've got an intro here. Yep. You probably hate these things, but... <laughs> Far away. <laughs> um, and you can correct me if they're wrong, but Dylan, you're a three-time premiership player, 2019 All-Australian, AFL Players Most Courageous Player Award in 2019, 2021 Jack Dyer medalist at Richmond's Best and Fairest Player, co-captain of the Richmond Footy Club. You were described as dimmer by, uh, as being tough, uncompromising, team-orientated. Uh, but there's a whole nother side of you away from the footy field as well. Bit of an agriculturalist nut as well as a football player, Dylan, but welcome to the Humans of Agriculture podcast. Yeah, thank you. Thanks very much for having me, Ollie. It's, it's an honour to be here because I've been a, a listener for a while and, um, yeah, really been inspired by a lot of the farmers and the people you've spoken to within the agricultural industry. So, yeah, it's really an honour to be here. It's funny where people pop up that have been listening or where Humans of Ag kind of mm. hits, but for you, this interest in agriculture... Where does it come from? I think, well, I've got a lot of like, uh, a lot of my ancestry really um, has been directly involved in agriculture. So, um, you know, mum's parents were farmers and um, through my dad's side, there was um, pretty strong farming influence as well. And yeah, so I, I grew up in a, also in an area that was sort of semi-rural. Um, so yeah, grew up on a hobby farm. And and I remember from a young age kind of being inspired by um you know, the farmers in my family and the farmers around my family. I remember thinking that, you know, we were talking off air about this, about how, you know, if something was broken or something was um, not working properly or there was a breakdown in, in machinery or sick livestock or whatever, it was always the farmer that had the answer and was able to fix it. And I remember thinking, spending time around relatives that were farmers, thinking these guys were the smartest blokes in the room by a mile. Um, and, yeah, so I guess that was probably where the early inspiration came from. Um, and then, you know, growing up as a kid, riding horses and motorbikes and that sort of stuff on farms, and it doesn't get much better than that. So I was, yeah, pretty keen to get involved in industry where I could do things that I love just like that. And it's a pretty amazing, I guess, split you've got at the moment in terms of, well, just work life and work life. But yeah. what does a week look like for you between Richmond Footy Club yep. and what you guys are doing out here? Well, at the moment, like for the footy season is pretty much broken up into three main parts. So there's a um, off season where we're on holidays after the season finished, get like a good time just to rest and recover. And um, there's pre-season, which is what we're in right now. Um, so it's a lot of hard work getting ready for the season to come. Um, a lot of fitness training and pretty long days. Um, 
and then there's the in-season mode where you know we're playing once a week and could be anywhere around the country um, but um, yeah we're based out of Melbourne so I'm spending a lot of time around Melbourne uh, we train and play uh, five days a week so normally get a day off kind of midweek around Wednesday and then depending on when the game falls normally the day, day after a game is a day off as well so um, yeah when I'm not when I'm not playing footy full-time I'm, I'm up here and um, yeah farming in my off time I guess perfect little mix and I think we'll jump into that but I did yep. want to ask a couple of questions which I thought would just be a better way because maybe we'll have some New South Welshmen yep. uh, whoever it might be that actually don't know <laughs> what real footy is they might think <laughs> rugby or something but um, Dylan I'm keen to understand a, a couple of questions yep. who's your childhood idol? Uh, great question in a footy sense uh, I grew up a Melbourne supporter um, my brother actually played for Melbourne as well so um, Melbourne runs pretty thick through my family's veins um, but yeah I was always inspired by I really like which is going to sound really weird but um, Stephen Silvani he was a very kind of um, uncompromising tough kind of probably undersized key back which is the position that I play um, and I remember watching a grand final where he got knocked out and I just thought this bloke is one of the toughest players to play on um, and yeah, he was probably someone I looked up to, particularly given that his role was similar to the role that I wanted to play as well. So um, he was my footy idol. But in terms of farming idols, probably just um, yeah, the ones I spent time around as a kid. So yeah, farms that we went to, and um, yeah, just people that I crossed paths with um, in the industry. Really, um, no one specifically jumps to mind, but yeah, that was kind of the, the main theme. We're going to follow the footy theme. In three words, how yep. would you describe? I guess. I'll say your character, but yeah, who you are as a person, both on and off the field. Ah, uh, good question. Three words. Well, you can choose three for on and three for <laughs> off. <laughs> well, I feel like I'm, I'm sort of similar <laughs> off field as what I am on field, to be honest. Um, and what's that? Uh, I'm probably someone that that's that's pretty structured. Um, I feel like I, I, I'm at my best when I'm well prepared, and that's on field and off field. Um, I'm someone that's uh, very driven. Like I'm, I'm, I'm a self-motivated person. I like to push myself. I was always told as a kid to, no matter what I have a go at, to really try my hardest. Um, I think I do that on field and off field. Um, and then, yeah, I don't know. I like to have a lot of fun in my life. Like I, I like to make people laugh. I, I really value good relationships in my life. Um, I really enjoy spending time with people, and in particular. Spending time with people in the country, I feel like that's that's me, me my happiest. Um, so yeah, they're probably three broad brush uh, ways that you could describe me, I guess. Love it. Uh, okay, if every job paid the same, yep. What do you reckon you'd do? Oh, good question. <laughs> I well, love these ones. I reckon it's so fascinating. Yeah, what people come yeah, up yeah. With. <laughs> well, it's interesting. We're talking again. I'm talking off air about how um, you know when, when we first started here. I was kind of doing my dream, which was a lot of like the maintenance side of things, like spending time, spending time on a lawnmower, um, you know, cutting grass with a stubby in the uh, in the cup holder was a pretty good way to spend an afternoon. And <laughs> if, it, if that paid the same as as any other job, yeah, I, I, I got to say I really enjoy the gardening and the and the maintenance side of things of the farm. Um, but yeah, I I don't know. I guess yeah, I think the yeah the the more the business grows, the less I'm able to do with that stuff, and probably the more I miss it. So yeah, at the moment that's what springs to mind is that I I really enjoy just being able to not be so attached to the phone or the laptop, um, and just yeah spending time kind of working the land is what I really enjoy. I'm keen on that because well, I think it's the natural part of any kind of growing business. But what yep. do you actually do to switch off? 
Um, I think those those tasks. I, I remember early on, um, I got given a book and it was about managing uh, your energy. And like as a footballer, like there's a lot of times throughout the week where you're pretty knackered. Like post game, um, you're pretty exhausted. And you know, so often on the back of big block or a big block, a big few weeks of preseason, you're, you're pretty knackered. And I found like there's always something you can do that's pretty low level energy. Um, and for example, sitting in a tractor or a lawnmower was pretty low level stuff, but it's you know important in terms of what we do here. Um, so yeah, f- almost like not wasting the times when you're feeling at your best on low level tasks. That's probably the way that I would I would describe that. So in terms of switching off, I would say yeah, maybe just spending time on the farm actually doing some sort of work that doesn't require a huge amount of energy like we've got a excavator here and moving soil for me and moving rock and that kind of thing is uh is an afternoon that i absolutely love especially considering the cab's got air conditioning and it's 30 degrees outside as we speak so um yeah i'll probably enjoy that to switch off to be honest oh that's good have you tried to recruit any of your footy players to come out and become laborers. <laughs> well, it's funny you should you should ask when um, COVID first hit and, and agriculture was considered an essential service. Um, we, like, yeah, all of Melbourne is in lockdown, and you know we got players from all over Australia that were sort of cooped up in apartments or houses in in suburban Melbourne and were itching to get out. So. Um, yeah, we were desperate for farm labour because it was one thing you couldn't get really. Um, you know, as a lot of people would have experienced in agriculture, is once that kind of international um, labour force left and weren't available to work, um, there's a real labour shortage throughout COVID. So um, I put the call out. Um, we we're in the middle of harvest actually um, to the players and said, if anyone's around Melbourne and wants to come help, like we'll we'll happily have you out and and. Uh, it was probably one of my favourite harvests to date was seeing 25 Richmond footballers with their shirts off in the vineyard working at, uh, vigorously to try and, <laughs> try and get the, the Pinot uh, harvested over a couple of days. It was a good, um, it was a good few days. We got, we got through about two-thirds on the first day and then got carried away around the bonfire that evening and it took us about a whole day to harvest the last third. There was a few <laughs> sore heads. So. Um, but, yeah, generally speaking, it's good to get some of the country guys that were born in, you know, rural Australia because we pick guys up from everywhere um, that were from farming backgrounds and, and get them involved and hands-on on the farm. And so we've, we've got a bunch of these city fellows, I guess, that live in and around Richmond and yep. Melbourne kind of CBD. Who would have been, the, I guess, the rising star in the agriculture world out of the team? Um, well, Liam Baker, definitely. Like he's, um, he's from Pingaring, which is... Uh, Oh, I think it's about three or four hours south of Perth. I could be wrong, but I think it's south of Perth. Um, his his family, yeah, big agricultural family, um, sheep and wheat mainly. I think is what they uh, they run. And um, there's a few other guys that have been really passionate about it and moving into it as well, like Jack Graham. Um, his family's got strong farming influence out just out of South Australia, uh, just out of Adelaide, sorry, in South Australia. Um, so yeah, there's quite a few boys that were like. Yeah, destined for a career in ag after footy. Um, I think it's like a lot of good links as well. Like, um, you know, some of the best footballers come out of the country and, and I think some of the best um, like post-career um, footballers move into agriculture. I think it's a really good link between the two. Yeah, no, there's, there's certainly a few pretty handy country footballers which make their way through. Definitely, yeah, yeah um, definitely. On that, let's let's talk about footy, and then let's come back and talk about yeah. uh, your farm here, Mount Macedon Estate. But I'm interested, going right back to where it all began. For you, like, was there a lot of expectation? You're going through um, through high school, and yep. you, you're coming out into that draft. Like, was there 
expectation from yourself from others that you were going to go down this pathway and I guess be successful? Yeah, well, that was it was a blessing and a curse because my brother was drafted two years before I was and he was pick 14 in the draft. So anyone that doesn't follow footy is a, is a very high pick. First round um, and probably was tipped to go even lower than that. So maybe pick six or seven initially. Um, and so he was a shoo-in to always get drafted, the best player in our competition kind of growing up. And so I think... Some people would probably view it as a blessing having, you know, your name recognised through what your brother had done. But I initially felt a lot of pressure to, to perform and, and I wasn't as good as good a player as what he was. Um, it took me a lot longer to develop into my body kind of thing. And, yes, yeah, so I was very much touch and go whether I'd be drafted or not. And initially I missed out on the national draft. So, um, yeah, you have to nominate yourself to be drafted. Every club um, sort of looks at you and and decides if they want to pick you or not. There's about 80 picks a year. Um, And yeah, so I missed out on getting um, picked up by every club passed me over. And then um, my brother's manager called me and said that um, Richmond had a pre-season pick available, which is essentially like a, it's a pick they didn't use in the draft, but it's part of the rookie draft. Um, And there was eight players at the time trying out for that one spot. And I was... I was sort of, I had my heart broken about missing out on the draft and um, probably still today, to be honest, carry a little bit of chip on my shoulder about that period. And then, yeah, went, tra- trained at Richmond for a while and that, you know, training list of eight players went down to six and four and then I was luckily enough to get picked up by Richmond and that was 2009. So um, just scraped in by the skin of my teeth and have been there ever since. So sort of still feel like really indebted to the club and, the opportunity I was given because I got a taste of what it was like kind of without it. So, um, yeah, something I probably will never forget. And I, I look back at that period of missing out on the draft and still, you know, it does burn me a little bit, to be honest. And not not because I don't blame anyone else or I'm not bitter at any club that didn't pick me up, but it's just that kind of realisation that that dream that I was working towards for so long of playing AFL footy, um, falling short of that was a real sting. Um, I'm sure anyone that's had like an experience like that can relate to it. Do, do they give you any feedback in terms of where you've fallen short? Yeah, like there was a there was a club Adelaide um, had had expressed interest and and um, Daniel Talley was another key back. If you know, um, yeah, if people in, uh, familiar with footy will know him. He played a number of games and was you know multiple All Australian player and he. He slipped out to their one of their picks, and they ended up picking a key defender. He was a much better player than I was, um, and he, uh, yeah, essentially, they picked up him, so they weren't looking for two key backs, and that kind of put my name off the radar for them. And um, you know, I had interviews with with a few other clubs, and sort of everyone had, had had seemed to have shown a little bit of interest, but just not enough, if that makes sense. And yeah, I, I don't really bear any hard feelings because every club's trying to pick the best player at their pick. Um, and for what they need as well. So, um, yeah, for whatever reason, just didn't pan out on the night for the draft. And, the you know, a few players moved around, like example was, would be Dan Talia. Um, and, yeah, I just was left without a without an offer. Um, but, yeah, it was – honestly, it wasn't – I was lucky because it was only a couple of days after the draft of me kind of licking my wounds uh, that, <laughs> that I got the call from my brother's manager saying that, you know, there was an opportunity that I should chase um, and – yeah, incredibly lucky that it fell the way it did. What was going to be option B? I was going to, to be honest, I was going to go um, up north and work on a cattle station. I'd, I hadn't worked in agriculture before other than just helping out, you know, I'd never had a job before. So, um, 
yeah, it was going to be a pretty big eye opener, but I was that's that was the plan. I got into a uni degree that I was never going to do. It was health science because I was, you know, that's what I thought. Kids, I love sport, so I was like, yeah. oh, we'll go into something to do with sport. And then when that fell, when when footy fell through, I was like, yep, I'm going to head up north and sort of start fresh and um, get hands on in the ag industry. But um, yeah, I only had a couple of days to think about that before I went down to Richmond. Yeah, that dream was squashed. Yeah, yeah exactly. I still would love to, to be honest. I've spoken, my wife and I have spoken about um, even just doing half a season um, up there yeah. after, after footy. Um, I definitely feel like I'd be able to provide more value now than what I could back then fresh out of school But uh, when I was first thinking about it. But yeah, I, I would really like to. I think that sort of scale of agriculture um, is something I'd really like to get my head around, you know. That's something completely different to me. And people explain it as kind of the real Australia. It's yeah. big, wide open spaces. It's rugged country. It's yeah. hot. It, and and tough people. Very yeah. Like, yeah, that's, that's, yeah, some people that I really want to learn off. Um, I feel like it, it would just be, you know, I've, I've been on in agriculture for a little while now, but I don't feel like I'd, I'd know, you know, they would forget more in a week than what I would know. Um, yeah. So it would be, be a good experience to, to get up there and pick their brains, I think. For sure. On, uh, I want to ask you a little bit about kind of mindset because yep. I think it, it's something which I'm really keen to understand from, I guess, your background, which is professional athlete and yep. high, high intense yep. environments, uh, high performance cultures. But what, what's changed over your time in the footy system around things like health and well-being and mindset? Yeah, a lot actually. Yeah, that's probably been the biggest change really. So we, the way that we kind of look, well, it was broken up to me when I first sort of started looking in the mental space of the game. So um, I was a player that was very much on the fringe. Like I, there was probably times in my career I, I would have been the last picked on the on the list, and um, I was thirsty for every any little edge that I could get. Um, and one of those edges was I got introduced to a lady by the name of Emma Murray. She was a high-performance coach, so she specialises in um, when you're performing at your absolute best, how to increase that time and how to increase how often you get to that space. Um, so whether you call it flow or optimal performance, they're all kind of the same things. But um, that was a part of, in the first part of my career, that was just not even really spoken about. Like it wasn't addressed. We didn't have the tools to really understand it. Um, and... Yeah, she was introduced to me and I was kind of thinking that, you know, I, I'll take anything I can get right now to try and be a better player because if I don't, I'm probably on the chopping board. And yeah, she helped formulate a real easy strategy for me to be able to replicate on field in a mental sense um, over and over and over just to kind of eliminate the highs and lows of my performance and be more consistent. I think that's the goal of any athlete is to maintain consistency at the highest level. Um so yeah, we worked heavily together for a number of years and are still in contact regularly. Um, so there was that aspect. So in terms of the on-field aspect, um, we, we started to really invest into that area as not just me, but as a whole club. And then um, the off-field aspect was, it was stuff about you know work-life balance, developing a career and a set of skills outside of football to be able to set yourself to be successful after your career's finished. And that was kind of what led me into, well, that was what led me into this. Um, a kind of exploration of figuring out what I was passionate about and what I wanted to do um, after my career finishes, um, because I think the average age of a football, um, average length of a football career, I think, is just under five years. So it's not a not an industry that's you're there for a long time. Um, 
So, yeah, I was pretty aware of that. And then our coach was very um, progressive in that way of, you know, really encouraging us to, to find a career or find a passion, find something you're interested in off-field. Because um, he was he, he believes in the link between, you know, you thriving off-field will help you thrive on-field. So, um, again, me looking for the edge in any way possible, I started looking down that kind of rabbit hole and led me to this. I've got several questions I want to ask you. One, probably starting off just around that confidence piece. So... You say you were saying that you were a fringe player, yep. kind of. How how do you balance the the confidence of going like, okay, I'm good enough to be here and perform. Yep. And how do, how like how do you actually block out the kind of negativity of being like, man, you are, you're literally yeah. only hanging on by the skin of your teeth. Yeah, I think for me it was um, well, what 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 kind of drew me into that sphere, that mental performance kind of aspect was. Like I felt like in the gym I was keeping up and on the training track, like whether it was a physical test, a, a fitness test or whatever, I felt like I could keep up with the players in my position and, and often beat them in, in, in those tests. And then I was finding though that that wasn't translating and they were much better players than I was on field. Um, so, you know, realising that, hang on, this is not a physical thing. It's not something I'm lacking in the gym or, you know, on the training track. I can do what they can do, but I just can't translate that into being a good footballer on field. Um, for me, it made me, it really highlighted that it was like a mental edge that I had to, I had to sharpen. Um, so yeah, I suppose with the confidence aspect, I reckon confidence is a few things, you know, you get it from, from previous experience. Like you look back and you say, yeah, I can do this. I've done this. I've played well. I I can be a good footballer. Um, and then as a lot of it comes from preparation, like if you're confident in your prep, like you're, you're, I mean, it's like anything you go to a meeting and you're well prepared, you're confident going into it you're ready to go um and you perform differently and i felt like i could control i could control my prep um and that's just what i really focused in on hey it's nick here sheep farmer and rabobank regional client council member i'm passionate about supporting our local community so we can improve community well-being and build strong local economies My job as a client council member is to help secure funding for regional grassroots initiatives. Those that support education in ag, rural health, sustainability and help bridge the country-city divide. We've helped organisations like Boys to the Bush, funded school field days like Ag Vision and held succession planning workshops, just to name a few. If you have an idea to make a difference to regional Australia, go to our website at www dot rabobank.com.au and nominate via our community fund we'd love to hear from you emma the high performance coach you were saying that she was helping you to perform build that structure to perform kind of on the field yeah how much of that was actually performing like and built on the field versus in that preparation and off the paddock yeah so i think players largely like I think there's a bit of hope like when you run out on the field like I hope I play well I hope the team plays well and like I hope I hope it doesn't give you when you're talking about confidence like hope is is like a there's a bit of fear attached to hope like I hope it will happen I hope it won't happen um I found that that was particularly unhelpful for me I'm probably someone that thinks about my football a lot um and that was leading to all kinds of stories in my head about um you know, or just really unhelpful kind of things. Like when, when, in terms of what you need to be thinking about on game day, I probably wasn't in that space before I was working with her. And then, uh, yeah, I, 
I honestly found like the work that we did together just gave me a really simple format that I could follow step by step on field to focus on the on what I could control. That's really the ultimate. Um, you know, it sounds so simple, but um, if I was worrying about past or present or thinking about you know being influenced by the crowd or or the umpire or anything like that, that's all factors that I couldn't control. So just really being ruthless on my focus on on the things that I could influence, which is. Me and my personal role, the teammates directly around me, and then that's about it, really. Um, the thought that I'm, yeah, can influence any more than that, really, in this uh, in this moment is sort of a bit abstract. Um, once you kind of get really honed in on, on the little things that you got to execute in the now, um, yeah, that was that was really what what we honed in on. It's interesting. You can tell me to shut up. I'm just going to keep asking no, questions about Shoot. all this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, like when you're actually on the field yeah what is it that's driving you to turn up and play uh there's a big part of me i was just i was born with five brothers um and there's a big part i was the middle of the five and just really competitive um yeah i think there's a f probably a f fire within me uh, with with that competitiveness that i just um i really want to perform every single time to my to the best of my ability and then also like help my teammates around me to do the exact same thing um I, there's, I've really always enjoyed pushing myself um, to the limit, whether it was in the gym or on the training track. I, I really enjoy trying to get the most out of myself um, and my body. So yeah, those two things, and then I think like that that little taste of success. It's not it doesn't necessarily have to be a premiership, or whether it's just that ten or fifteen minutes after a win um, or a tough game. Like there's even a tough session. Like that that feeling you get with your teammates is pretty special. So um, to me, that's kind of worth putting in the extra effort for. Definitely. Um, God, where do I? Oh, I'm trying to think if I just keep asking um, self-fulfilling questions on that. <laughs> no, I, I want to know. And the the girls in my team often say, like, God, Ollie, yeah. you mentioned Ben Crow a lot. I know yeah. you're yeah. probably the, one of the closest people I've come to who's actually worked under him. Like Ben is a huge believer, and I guess his philosophy is around separating that what you do from who you are. Yeah, I think in agriculture lots of people because it is lifestyle that's all consuming what they do it can be perceived as who they are but there's a lot that kind of sits behind that what did ben's philosophies and i guess that time with him um through richmond actually teach you about what's driving you and who dylan is as a person yeah we we'd started to do um on the back of so ben worked really closely with our captain at the time trent cochin and our head coach damien hardwick they worked really closely together throughout um 2016 so just to paint a bit of a picture we'd we'd made finals a few years in a row and been knocked out the first round of finals um leading up to 2016 and then um 2016 we didn't even we didn't make finals so we were sort of this team that was building and kind of not really fulfilling their their potential several years in a row and then to not even make finals was a real kick in the guts and a real kind of moment of we've just hit not rock bottom but we'd hit a space where we knew we had to do something dif very differently to get a different result um so they worked with ben crow and and um other people as well but and his philosophy was around um if we want to what what can we do that'll influence the club that we would do regardless of if it meant we were going to win games or not so if we lost every game for the whole year how would we want people to still show up every single day to richmond football club and, and what do we want their experience to be so we still wanted people to have fun we still wanted people to feel really accepted um, we wanted people to be comfortable in their own skin and we wanted people to feel valued so you look at all that kind of stuff and for that to happen you really need your senior leaders to get 
um, vulnerable and kind of show that, um, you know, that they're hurting as well as everyone else. And um, you do that through storytelling. Uh, so the first thing um, we implemented was a, was really like a, uh, we called it Triple H, but it was a session where basically you talked about your hero, your hardship and your highlight of your life. Um, and some people shared some incredible stories that you just didn't know about them and you'd been training with this guy for 10 years and you'd never heard the story about, you know, how he lost a loved one or how he really struggled with mental health at this point in his life or, or whatever it might have been. And this process of everyone going through it and sharing with a group their challenges brought us so much closer together and we created this environment that regardless of whether we won a game or not it was going to be a great environment to show up to work every day that kind of encouraged players to go a little bit further because they wanted to be at the club they weren't racing out of there they really wanted to be there and, and succeed with their teammates they were playing for a bigger cause and on the back of that vulnerability we grew close, closer closer connection um Ben Crow's philosophy around storytelling being the best avenue for transferring knowledge mm. um, and building connection was great for us. Um, something we still use weekly, uh, daily at our at our footy club. Um, and then, yeah, I just think we found a sweet spot with, uh, you know, a mix of really good people, um, really talented people, and um, that team cohesion, that team connection, all at the right time. And um, yeah, it was a pretty good period for the club. Yeah, one which many people will remember. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and in the midst of that too, you were having a lot of personal success as well. Mm. Like, yeah, um, what's it like being in the high-performing team but then also being, I guess, the individual who's potentially elevated up um, with things like the All-Australian, with best player? Like, Yeah, it was... Um I very much have always probably preferred not being in the limelight, to be honest. I've, I've always preferred to be maybe a good um, backup singer rather than the lead singer, <laughs> if that makes sense. And I was pretty, like, I, I played um, under, like, in my, in my opinion, the best fullback of all time, which is Alex Rance. And, um, yeah, I was able to learn, like, weekly off, off him. And, and he is still one of my closest mates and someone I look up to immensely. So I was I was always kind of able to learn off him, and he was a superstar. And in in twenty uh, would have been twenty nineteen, uh, it was round one. He did his ACL and was out for the year. And yeah, I had to make a shift from being like I suppose a vice captain of the backline to being that leader in the backline. I I, I shouldn't say that I was that leader because there was other leaders at the time, but um and and very good leaders at the time playing in the backline. But it was a moment for me that I kind of was pushed into that role I suppose of having to grow and and be a little bit uncomfortable on field um being the player that makes the decisions rather than the player that just supports the decisions um so yeah that was a it was a challenging like little block for me personally the beginning getting used to that but yeah I think like I'm always I've always been someone whether it's here at the farm or at footy that I really enjoy a little bit of pressure like I I almost seek it out a little bit so um, yeah, the, that extra responsibility, extra challenge, I actually really learned to enjoy. It's a perfect conjure, I think. Let's talk about the farm. You, yourself and your partner, Alicia, yep. were 22, 23 when you decided you were going to look for something outside of Melbourne, yep. ideally a bit of ag land. You're talking about being out of your comfort zone. <laughs> 
you, you found this amazing spot here and um, what was that like? Like the, I guess, having this responsibility outside of it, but going, okay, actually we need to somehow make this business work as well. Yeah, well, so to, stay, to take a bit of a step back, it was, it was on the back of that, uh, I mentioned that, that what our senior coach was doing. So he was really pushing us to go into finding a career away from football. Um, and yeah, we, I'd kind of started that process of realizing that agriculture was something that I wanted to be involved in. Um, and yeah, I had the idea of could I um, have a farm where we could grow our own food somewhere where family and friends could kind of escape to and and, and provide some experiences, you know, um, in agriculture for people that weren't from agriculture. So whether it was learning to drive a tractor or lighting a bonfire or something like that, you know, that your city mates haven't done before, could I do that um, for them? And then, uh, yeah, I met my now wife and she uh, was a wedding coordinator. So she kind of turned my farming idea into, you know, a commercial idea with the hospitality side of things. And um, yeah, she had the idea of, of could we, at this farm that I was envisioning as a 21-year-old, as a could we turn this into somewhere where we could host weddings? So that kind of idea grew. Um, and then we spent, I'm going to say a good, so I was 21, I think, at the time. And uh, she was 20. And I think we spent a couple of years writing a business plan. Like, would this actually work? And like, it was, I've read it recently, actually. And it was absolute dog shit uh, <laughs> of a business plan <laughs> dreamy um, or just dreamy and just like shit. oh it was just i think it was like 38 pages long or something like that so way too long and like oh, just man. went into detail on stuff i didn't need to figures were all wrong forecasting was all wrong anyway um too but, high or too low <laughs> <laughs> uh we we started looking like we would we would go to salador's um wineries farms on our days off and weekends and kind of use it as a bit of a hobby like you know we travel to different regions rather glen or heathkit or um you know yarra valley mornington and just all around victoria trying to experience like these different um businesses and properties and what we liked about some and not about others and we ended up keeping notes that we've still got today on all the ones we'd liked and why and what we didn't like about others as well different ideas and then we sort of just started, we, they went from cellar doors to looking at real estate. So we went from just visiting places to being like, you know, we never thought we'd buy any of these places that were listed for, you know, 1.5, 2 million. There's no way we could afford that. But we started looking around and just seeing what was available. Was was 20 acres enough? Was 50 acres enough? How much land do we want and do we need? And what were some of the other ideals um, for us? So then we kind of got an idea about what, areas we liked and what we could afford or what was cheaper from a price point um and initially we were focusing on where we were from which was Yarra Valley um looked all around there and just found the pricing out there to just be really expensive so that kind of ruled out other areas like Mornington as well we just couldn't afford to so then we focused our, our search in other ways and we found Masson Ranges and just fell in love with this area where we've landed um yeah, just absolutely love the rolling hills. It's spring country, so there's a lot of green a lot of th throughout the whole year. Um, uh, it's a little bit cooler as well, so um, you know, it doesn't mean you get the blistering heat in summer as well, which we liked. And um, Yeah, we were looking at farms all over the area and stumbled across this one. And uh, yeah, it was way out of our price range. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> like you know by over a million dollars outside of our price range and said to the agents how much we loved it it had been on the market for about 
uh, four or five years and we just offered what we could afford and then when we could afford a little bit more we'd make another offer and when we could afford a little bit more after that we'd make another offer over the course of probably a year and then um, we committed to, they, they kept coming down and we kept coming up and eventually we found a price that we were both happy with and um, we, we, we locked in that price and signed the contracts and we deliberately signed a nine-month lease to help us save um, to actually be able to afford the loan we were um, yeah we were really stretched to, to be able to, to be able to buy the place and then when we finally settled I don't know if I had a dollar in my bank account <laughs> um, but yeah it was the best decision we ever made yeah the early days of it it were what did it look like um from what you've said kind of off air it was a bit of a shell of what it actually is yeah so the um as i mentioned the previous owners it, it had gone gone um uh up for sale about five years before so it was um you know five years of time kind of left to go go back to natural states as of you know weeds everywhere and the vineyard was pretty run down and um the buildings that are now uh the restaurant and cellar door were just uh, well, the cellar door was just a machinery shed and um, we renovated that recently in COVID um, to be a, a, a place where people can now dine and, and enjoy the wine that we grow here. And then the restaurant was the old winery facility. So essentially it was just an empty shell of a building really where all the wine equipment had been sold um, when the place was closed down by the previous, uh, previous owners. And yeah, so we pretty much just... Um, all we could afford was paint, so just started there and um, <laughs> started the chainsaws because there's a number of trees. I don't think a chainsaw had been started here for a little while and just began working our way through renovating as cheaply as we could to, to yeah to slowly build it up to what it is now. What's been the greatest probably learning as you've taken on this property? Oh, there's been so many, and like I can remember times. Um, like in the car park I can see the forklifts parked over there and I remember one time um, it was early days we had a shipment of wine coming here um, and it was all that we could like we we'd maxed out the credit card to buy this wine that we had to sell um, and the wine rocked up on a truck and I just never thought how are we how are we getting the wine off the truck it just never occurred to me so the wine rocks up and the guy says uh, radio mate go grab the forklift and I looked at him and I was like the farm, the farm came with a forklift there was one parked in the shed I had no idea if it ran or not yeah. <laughs> and I just had to jump on this thing and handle like more than I could afford dollar value worth of uh, worth of wine and try and figure out how to get this bloody thing off safely and manage to but man like there's been so many moments like that where I've been absolutely stretched in terms of stress or um, uh, fear that you just kind of I don't know you just become more comfortable with that uncomfortable feeling, I suppose. Um, that, was, that was one time. There's another time where uh, I was, so it was game day, I was playing at, we were playing um, at the MCG and I had to leave the farm to drive into town. And uh, I could just hear the house water pump just humming in the background. And I was sort of like, right before I left, I was in my full Richmond uh, kit and I was just thinking to myself, why is that going? Uh, non-stop and I sort of was thinking do we have a dishwasher on do we have like load of washing on anything like that and then I went outside and the filter on the house pump had just popped off completely like just snapped off at the at the fitting and um I had to get in there while this thing was live and try and figure out how to get it off and I remember being drenched like head to toe in an instant right before I was meant to leave my whole playing gear was just completely soaked (laughs) 
and I remember I had to wear like a motley crew of a uh, of bit of a um, Frankenstein kit of Richmond kit, like old sponsors, new sponsors kit just to get to the game. And I remember driving in thinking, oh, I'm just so far out of my depth with this, with this whole thing. I don't know what I was thinking, but um, yeah, there's been so many examples where it was just, everything's just a first. Like I've, I mentioned earlier that I've been around farms, but I've never been the farmer. Like I've never been the guy that had to fix things. I was always helping to fix things um, or do things. And yeah, the biggest learnings have just been, have just been everything almost. <laughs> <laughs> and how have you actually learned? Um, a lot of good, a lot of good people. Like it sounds, if I was going to do a TED talk, actually, I'd probably do a TED talk on this. Um, right now, on, on how to re- on how to receive like or like how to how to put yourself in a space to really receive help, and I think if you are going into an industry where you know absolutely nothing, you're you're almost at an advantage because you can ask anyone for help and anyone will recognise that you have no idea what you're doing. They do with me anyway, and they'll offer their help kind of willingly. Um, I think if you've had a little bit of experience, when you ask for help, people aren't sure how much to give you. If you've had a lot of experience and you ask for help, people just take a back seat and you're the leader in that scenario. So I think coming into the agricultural industry pretty green for me was actually an advantage. So I was able to call up... My series just uh, kicked in there. I was I was able to call up our local stock agent for help about, you know, some sort of livestock issue or there'd be a neighbour that was helping with a tractor issue or there's a guy up the road that was, you know, helping me diagnose what was wrong with a chainsaw. And I just found that asking people for help was almost a... I think it's a bit of a compliment. It's like saying to someone, like, I, I value your skill set. I recognise that you're a bit of an expert or, or had a lot more experience than me. And going to someone and saying, look, I'm actually struggling here. Would you mind just coming around and showing me X and Y? Uh, I, I, that was how I learned, really. And slowly the confidence grows. Like, you know, as I said, I learned to drive the forklift through having through necessity <laughs> and uh, then all of a sudden, you know, driving a tractor wasn't as scary and then the next thing and the next thing kind of happens. But um, yeah, I, I had to only a couple of weeks ago, it was like 2am and I was pulling a calf and the only reason why I knew how to do that was because of calling a neighbour up the road at 1am the time before and asking him to come help me pull a calf. So yeah, I just look back and I think it's just been good people that have generously helped me out out of, you know, expecting absolutely nothing in return. Um, yeah, I, I'd have to credit it all to them, to be honest. It's amazing just how generous people will be. Yeah, when it comes to helping someone else out. Yeah, oh, I couldn't could not agree more. And even like, there's just so many stories, um, uh, and particularly in like <laughs> farming and hospitality are similar in a way that like when when something happens, it needs you know when shit hits the fan, it, it needs a result and an impact, and you need to be able to drop everything else immediately to go do it. Um, I feel like there's not as many industries like that that have that urgency to it. Um, so yeah, across those two spaces that we're involved in, which is the, yeah, the agriculture and the hospitality side of things, there's been so many times we've had to rely on just the generosity of the, of the local community. And also not being from this area as well is even te- more of a testament to how good people are because it's not as though I can call on people that I've known for my whole life. It's been generosity of strangers often. I think for me, that's something which how I kind of get it is through the podcast as well. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing when you're willing to ask people and if you're genuinely looking to try and learn mm. something, for instance, I think what I'm so interested in with finding out more about you is like around obviously just the influences of ag and footy and how you develop this mindset thing of kind of what's possible and getting in and yeah. having a crack. But it's amazing, yeah, when you, you 
get a hold of people who are the experts in their field, whether that's the farmer or the stock agent or whoever it might be, yeah. just how quickly you can learn off of them because they're they're tried and tested. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's like there's like a little bit of um I've always been curious about this. There's a little bit of passion that seems to rub off. Like I'm naturally a a pretty curious person. We're talking again off air about how you are you are as well. You're a curious person about, you know, all things agriculture, but then broader life as well. And I found um you know, when you find when you find someone that's really passionate about whether it's, you know, hot rods, you know, you, you speak to someone that's really passionate about hot rods and, and they light up when they're talking to you about it. And then, you know, you almost find yourself a little bit like caught by their bug. Yeah. Like their passion <laughs> seems to rub a little bit off on you. So I've definitely found like, you know, that being involved in like a business like ours, it's a little bit mixed. Like there's livestock and there's crop and there's hospitality and we do events as well. And um, talking to experts in their field about what they're really passionate about, like that curiosity and that kind of enthusiasm, I, I really enjoy it. I really find it um, inspiring to be around mm. people that are passionate about their field and working in their field. Yeah. And I think farmers are a great example of that. You'd struggle to find a farmer that they didn't love what they, um, or weren't passionate about what they were doing. Absolutely. I think it's... Yeah. An- probably nearly be the number one word when people yeah. talk about yeah what is it that gets people involved in agriculture or whatnot or why yeah. are you why are you turning up people are like, i'm just so passionate about yeah. it yeah exactly yeah so, yeah um i, I want to talk on the, the business front because can you can you give us a bit of an overview so you've got the the viticulture side you, yep. you've got some livestock but actually you do have a considerable team as well yeah how many people do you guys have working here I think we're somewhere in the low 20s, maybe like 22 or 23. And that, that includes, um, you know, the front of house staff that, that work part-time, like the restaurant's open Thursday to Sunday. So, um, yeah, some part-time and casual staff in that in that mix as well. But, yeah, it's a, it's a good, like, we've always been, um, one thing people say to us straight away when you say you're in rural area running a hospitality business is they say, oh, geez, that must be challenging to find staff. But I actually think it's been we've been really blessed in the opposite way. I think you get a few good, like really good people in the core of your team and then that just attracts yeah. really good people and retains really good people. So um, we've put on some staff in the early stage of our business that are still with us now and I think the success that we've had is largely built to the calibre of person that they are because they've just attracted more really good people and, and as I said, retain really good people as well. So yeah, we're pretty lucky. With building a high-performing team, I guess you guys are often operating under pressure with yep. whether you've got weddings or you've got grapes that need to be picked, whatever. It's like yep. pressure that comes with it. You've come from a background where people are high performers and you've built that high-performance culture and you've done it through vulnerability and getting to know each other. How have you tried and tested that within your team here? Yeah, I think the <laughs> there's a short answer to this. Damien Hardwick coined this uh he's he's our senior coach he coined this early days he said richmond we've got a a, an unofficial no dickhead policy so (laughs) we will not recruit no matter how good of a player you are or how good you are in your specific role we will not recruit dickheads and i think you know there's a little bit of that here i I, I really i mean because you know i'm spending so much time here um you know live here part-time um i'm spending so much time around staff as well that like i i will really want to work with the people that are that I want to work with and um, I've found just the value of having good people around you makes it so much easier to when it comes time to push that little bit extra or go that extra mile you know you mentioned that high performance team to be a actual high performing team um, you it matters so much in that mo- in that moment that you've got really good people around you 
have you got it wrong at any times? Oh, I think every business has made hiring mistakes. And, and to be honest, I look back at the, at, at the times and the staff roles haven't been successful and I credit a lot of that towards me, whether it was the, mm. um, whether it was the recruitment process that I didn't quite get right and, or whether it was the training process that I didn't quite get right. Um, yeah, I, I think as well, and you know, I'm sure you can relate to this with how much you've pushed and, and tried to grow your business that um, you know, that you probably without realizing at times as well, just that enthusiasm, how much pressure that puts on your, your staff as well. And, mm. um, you know, passion's a really, really good thing, but it also has its downsides. It can be intense at times. It can be um, constant at times and um, kind of unrelenting at times. Uh, so, yeah, I've definitely got it wrong. Definitely. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, every hire that we've have made mistakes um, has been a huge opportunity for growth, whether it's in the recruiting. There was something I didn't ask a, some sort of understanding that I missed in the interview process, something that I didn't frame up well enough in the role or the PD. Um, so yeah, I feel like I, I learn a lot, but I'm still getting it wrong now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I feel for like for people who are stepping into say management roles and people yeah. management, what would be your advice to them to kind of embrace? Um, that? What, are, what, are the th- what are the shortcuts that have been tried and tested? <laughs> through your career I had, I had a close mentor of mine i can't say this was my own uh, piece of advice but he said hire really slowly and and fire really quickly that was his if it's if it doesn't feel right it's probably not going to be right mm-hmm. um, i do believe that um everyone deserves a really good chance in the role and deserves really good training in the role but yeah i think if your gut's telling you something it's probably right um i through lack of confidence maybe and through lack of kind of experience in the industry, I, I didn't value my own gut feeling at all. I thought it was, you know, I sort of believed everyone was going to work out and, and just sometimes they don't and that's business and um, that's life really. Um, people change passions, they change industries, they per- personal circumstances change, but yeah, and then sometimes they just, you know, they try out the role for a little bit and they decide it's not for them. So um yeah it'd probably be I'd, I'd steal his advice and say yeah just hire really slowly and then and then if it's not working make the call quickly it'd be, it's better for both sides if it's done earlier rather than string it out i think definitely pull the trigger um i'd love to know how has the agriculture piece you might have touched on it but how's agriculture actually benefited your footy career uh, i think like well I absolutely believe in our coach's philosophy around, you know, thriving off field will help you thrive on field and, and particularly the stage of career that I am where I'm closer to the end. It's nice to be actually enjoying the last parts of my career and not being super stressed about, you know, what am I going to do after footy and, you know, how am I going to pay the bills or, uh, you know, finding a career at this time of your career would be stressful. I feel like I'm, um, I'm lucky in that sense. But then just the piece around, you know, and like I often say to people like I'm, I'm too busy to um, to read the media or too busy to like get get down about certain things because I honestly feel that I am. Like after a, a game, like this, the, the opportunity to be in your sweet spot as a professional athlete is actually really small. Like you've got to have, you've got to won the game. Mm-hmm. You've got to got out of the game uninjured. You've got to played well individually and you, yeah, your team's got to played well. Because sometimes you win and you didn't really play that well. Yep. Um, and so for all those kind of four or five things to happen is actually really rare. So there's a lot of times throughout your career where you can be pretty flat or be beating yourself up about your performance. And I, I found that having a really good distraction away from football 
something where I'm not checking my phone or, um, you know, I'm completely switched off from that bubble um, has been immensely, like, beneficial for me. Like, I, I just can't stress that enough that I've, I've definitely been so much happier with my professional playing career um, and my performance has been better since I took over this place, without a doubt. Um, there's definitely been some times that's been, you know, really, like, challenging and stressful and, you know, I'd sore or tired and harvest is going on or mm. um, we're cutting hay and the hay's got to come in or whatever whatever the scenario is. Like, there's been times where I've been pushed to my, well, beyond my limits and, you know, that may, people may say that's, that's affected my football. Like, I went into the club maybe a bit more tired than what I would have been had I been on the couch all day, but... I think over the long term, like this has probably been the best thing for my footy career that I could have done. When the final curtain eventually comes, it's yep. a few seasons away still at this stage. Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think you'll miss most about footy? Oh, definitely the mateship, like without even having to think about it. Like I think that there's something special about the bond that you have, you know, uh, with, with the players that you see every single day almost. Um, you're working just so incredibly hard with them. You're riding the highs and the lows um you're succeeding and you're you know you're falling short with them um you know yeah the guys that i probably have the most beers with the guys that i you know um go away with in the off season just that that level of closeness i I doubt that i'll get uh again in amongst 45 players like i'll probably get that with a few mates but not 45 yeah um and then I, i think just that that competitive aspect like i mentioned it earlier i think i'm gonna miss just really pushing myself and, and, and yeah, those around me to, to just win as much as possible. Um, yeah, I'll miss that a little bit, I think. What do you think you're most looking forward to on the other side? Oh, I'm, re- I'm like, I love my footy career, but geez, I'm looking forward to spending more time here. And um, I don't have kids yet because I feel like between footy and here, it, it's, it's, it's probably too much of a challenge to to have kids so I'm looking forward to that that phase of my life and um yeah I'm just to be honest I'm looking like I I say to my wife all the time and she kind of will roll her eyes at me saying this now but I say to her all the time like you are that lucky to be here wake up here every single day and um you know be able to work the farm you know work on the farm um every single day as well that's one part I'm I'm particularly envious of yeah I'm looking forward to as well yeah it's gonna be pretty exciting yeah yeah it did a couple of questions which uh I always finish on, so you might know what's coming if you've listened yeah, to a yeah, couple. <laughs> you get the chance to go and talk to Year 10 students about a career in agriculture and why they should consider it. Yeah. What would be your advice to them? I would say um, you don't realise how like little you need to get started and how um, much there is to learn. So I think that you know whether you're from farming or not, like you'll be shocked at how... If you've got the right attitude and the right work ethic, how much you can actually get involved in the industry and how much you'll you'll really enjoy it. The skills that you'll learn will, will guaranteed set you up for life. And I honestly believe that has for my for my case. Yeah. And one final one. If you get the chance actually this question came from Ned Hannigan, who's uh, a rugby player. Yep. If you could change one perception in Melbourne yep. about agriculture, what would you tell him? Hmm. Good question. One perception, it's a, it's a good question because there's a few. I, like I think that um, the misconceptions at the moment about like how agriculture is um, an unsustainable 
um, way of life and that even animal industries are, you know, not environmentally friendly. And I think there's a lot of misconceptions around that personally. Um, I feel as though uh, you only have to spend time on a farm that's practicing regenerative agriculture to realize that agriculture is, a, is actually the way of the future. Um, and in terms of what, what the, the power and the scale that they have to influence uh, climate change in a positive way and yeah, the environment in a positive way is just is immense. So um, yeah, that's probably a bit of a broad answer, but that's probably what I'd say, yeah. It's a bit of a powerhouse, I think. I think yeah. the rest of the world will wake up to the importance of ag shortly. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think they have to, yeah. Beautiful. Well, Dylan, thank you so much for coming and having a chat. It's been awesome. Yeah, no, thank you, Ollie. Thank you very much for having me. Well, there's been a bit of a sporting theme over the last couple of weeks. Last week we had Jack Byrne, the uh, under-14 footy and basketball player. This week, Dylan Grimes, co-captain of the Richmond Footy Club. And in the next couple of weeks, we'll be releasing a special episode that we recorded live at the Australian Dairy Conference with Ned Brockman as well. So keep your ears and eyes peeled for that one. As always, we'd, we'd love your feedback. So if you could send us a message rate subscribe um let us know what it is you're loving enjoying even disliking about humans of agriculture because ultimately we're here to get curious about the role of agriculture in the world around us and so each week we're looking to bring different guests into the foray so reach out please look after yourselves stay safe stay sane and remember to smile see ya